Well, good morning again. You guys doing good? Do you guys enjoy worship? Oh, man, it's so good to be in the presence of God. I love that this church has been and to me is increasingly um, valuing the presence of God and just that worship. I know I shared a long uh, while ago that uh, I love that Israel, uh, they camped around the presence of God, right? Wherever the presence of God, that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire, wherever the pillar of God went, they would go and, and then it would stop. They would go set up camp around that presence of God. And um, I, I think for too long, I've been guilty where I've exalted I'll have to explain this because I think some of you might get offended. I'm okay to offend you too, though. Um, I've exalted the word of God over the presence of God. Some that might offend some of you, so give me a second. The word of God has not gone down one iota in my value. I love the word of God. I, I live by the word, right? There's so many things, but the idea is I don't have a relationship with written words on a page. I have a relationship with the word of God, capital W, Jesus, and I want his presence. I, I was away from my wife for several days this last week. And, you know, I could FaceTime her and I could talk to her and I, I had conversation with her. So that was great. But it's very different than being in the same room with her and being able to hug on her and embarrass my daughter and kiss her in front of my daughter. Right. I, I love doing that. I do it on purpose because I just she drives her nuts. Um, but there's something different, right, about that presence of being physically present with my wife. There's something different about just getting information about God and when his presence is there. And so I love that this church is growing in our value for the presence of God. It doesn't mean that we're devaluing the word of God at all. No way. But we are increasing our value of the presence of God. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, that's not to reheart, but that's been my values. Um, when Pastor Style started this church 70 years ago, um, he had the M's, right? The music, ministry, missions. And I loved growing up in that church. But when I became the pastor, I, I shifted a little bit. I said, it's worship, word, ministry. Um, I still love missions. I've been on the missions committee here forever. I thought that I was, I was at the Bible college thinking I was going to be a missionary, not a pastor. Um, so I haven't stopped. I haven't brought any of those music ministry missions down at all. I just say, no, we need to exalt worship, the presence of God, not music. I, don't, I shared this, and I didn't even know I was going to say it, um, a couple of Tuesdays ago when we had um, soldiers for the second coming. They asked me to come on that Tuesday night and share something, and it was not even prepared to say, but I just said it. I said, there's a difference between me singing a music song, me just singing music, and a difference between me singing a song that is worshiping God. Such a profound difference, at least for me. I don't know about you. I can sing even a Christian song, not just a secular song. I can just sing a song, and I'm not worshiping. And it doesn't mean it's bad. I'm just singing a song. And then when I begin to worship, oh, something different happened, right? And so I'm just, I love that this church has always valued music, but man, it's the presence of God. I don't want just music. I want the presence of God. And so anyways, that's not my, time, my sermon this morning. Um, but I just love that God is doing that. God is in us creating a culture where we just want the presence of God. We'll camp around it. If, if pastor doesn't get to preach his whole sermon, that is okay because we want the presence of God. And hopefully the presence of God is still here when I give my sermon, right? When I'm sharing the word of God, that he is still being exalted and you are being taught. So that's good. Um, all right, so that was all freebies. Nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you about, okay, I like doing Sunday school trivia. I call it Sunday school trivia. We don't even have Sunday school anymore. Since COVID, we kind of took that off the calendar. Um, I grew up going to Sunday school, kids class. That's what they're doing right now. They're launching into a new season. And Jenny does such a great job of teaching our kids basic Bible truths, all the Bible stories. And so here's a Sunday school trivia for you, because I'm just one of those nerds. I'm a, I'm a Bible geek. Um, what is 
the last words of the Old Testament. It comes from that Italian prophet, Malachi. You guys know Malachi? <laughs> no, you guys call it Malachi? What's wrong with you guys, Malachi? Malachi. Um, Malachi, however you want to say it. Um, but he's got four chapters. Does anyone remember? It, anyone remember what it says at the very end of the Old Testament? And he will return. Yeah, he looked it up. Smart guy right there. He went and looked up Malachi, <laughs> chapter four. So turn there. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible in the pew in front of you, open up your app, whatever you want to do. Um, we're going to read the very last couple verses. We don't have to read the whole chapter. Um, but Malachi, chapter four. So if you found Matthew, go backwards, right? It should be easy to find. Some of those small Old Testament prophets are hard to find, right? That one should be easy. Malachi chapter 4. So starting, we'll do 4. Starting in verse 4. Malachi 4, 4. says this, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. So I'm going to stop there even. It's saying remember. He's, Malachi is telling the people of Israel, remember what happened hundreds of years ago. Remember what Moses did. He brought the law and he brought order and he brought structure to how we can worship God and how we can have a relationship with him. Remember all those things. But then he, he's saying that he transitions from verse four to verse five to the end, the last two verses. It's future looking. He says this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the end of the Old Testament. And then there's a gap for a few hundred years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And so for me, growing up, going to Bible college, all those things, rabbis, they always say the very first time something is said, it's important, pay attention. And the last time something is said, it's important, pay attention. So to me, that's important. The end of the Old Testament, what's being said, right? Remember Moses and Elijah. Who showed up? You should know this because I just kind of gave you the answer. When Jesus went up to the mountain of transfiguration, two people showed up. Who was it? Moses and Elijah, right? The law and the prophets. They kind of represent all of the Old Testament. Um, if you're a Jew, um, that is what Moses represents, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's what Moses wrote. It's all kind of founding the law, what's important, basis, the basics of relationship with God. And then Elijah was like the the top of all the prophets, all those things that were said on top of that. Then you have the writings, the Ketuvim. I'm getting back into Jonathan's class a while ago. Um, but the idea is that Moses and Elijah, they represented kind of the father figures of a relationship with God. And so he's saying, remember Moses, but I will send you the spirit of Elijah. I will send you Elijah. And for me, some of that is, you can scholars agree, some of that fulfillment of that prophetic word from Malachi is John the Baptist. Before Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist had kind of that Elijah spirit, right? He was kind of strange and did, he was very bold and told of people in position authority, you know, brood of vipers. He kind of was kind of one of those guys. Um, so that's, we see that. But for me, it's very clear. It's not, it's that coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Not just Jesus coming Christmas as a baby, not just dying on the cross, but when Jesus returns as a king, right? It says in Revelation that he's going to come back on a horse and some things that are not fun to read, that he's going to come on a white horse and he's going to come back and there's going to be blood splattered all over the horse and all over his gown because he's going to be, it's a dreadful day of the Lord. Jesus is going to judge. He is a judge. He is merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. He also is just and he will be a king that brings justice. Nowhere where I'm headed this morning, but I just want you to understand this idea, right? It's coming, there's still something about this fulfillment of this prophecy that has not been completely fulfilled. 
Until Jesus returns, there's an opportunity for this spirit of Elijah to come where the hearts of the fathers are turned towards the children and the hearts of the children are turned towards the fathers. I don't know if you look in our culture, in our day in society, I didn't bring up all the statistics. This is not the point of the message. But you'll look that we are living in a fatherless generation. That it's, it's ridiculous. It's, I don't know what the percentages are, but if you go into the jail cells, right, it's like 90% of those men that are in jail didn't have a father. There's something, the problem is not crime. It's that there aren't dads in households training up their children, right? And it's the idea is, I love that it's not them people out there, the world. They just need more fathers out in the world. This is spoken to God's people. It's spoken to you and I, the church. In the last days, the church needs to get a spirit of Elijah where our hearts burn towards children and where we as children burn towards having fathers in our life that tell us, that we submit to, that we don't like what they say, but they're our fathers, so we're going to listen to them. I, I remember listening to a sermon years ago about how the Protestant church, some of that is good, right? We are Protestants. I'm not a Catholic. Thank God. There's so many things I thank God for that. But there's some things that we have missed for the history of the church for thousands of years where you called your pastor a father, right? In Catholic church, you say, father, I've sinned. They just call him Padre, right? I was down in San Diego. That's the name of the baseball team down there, the Padres. And I just was taking things in. Padre, I just, this whole last week, I've just been thinking about fathers. So you're stuck with my own personal, what's been going on in my life this last week. So I'm preaching to myself probably more than anyone else in the room that I need fathers in my life. And I need to have a heart as a child that I'm looking up to fathers that I'm submitting to. At the same time, I need to be a father, not just to my four biological kids, but that God has called me to be a pastor and I need to be a father figure in here. No matter your age, no matter gender, no matter what, if you've been here for twice as long as I've been at this church or you're brand new today, I need to be a father. I want to make sure that my heart is right in all of this. I don't say this cheaply or to manipulate. I'm saying this in sincerity. I need to ask your forgiveness because I have not owned that position as a spiritual father of this church like I should. I'm not saying I didn't do it at all, but I have not fully stepped into it like I should have for the last nine years. I'll give you an example. There's been times for the last nine years when things happened that I've never encountered before as a pastor. I didn't know what to do. And the thought that ran through my head is, what should a pastor do? That's how I decided. What should a pastor do? I don't know. I'm, I don't know what a pastor does all. But when I'm at home and I'm a dad, I never think, oh, what do dads do? That thought never, I am the dad. It's my household. I, I feel completely free to make up the rules. I get it, I'm according to God's word, but the reality is my household is run different than any other household in this room. I'm not saying it's better, it's just different. I'm the dad. It's my DNA, it's my culture. I'm responsible for the good and bad that comes out of my house. But I, I feel very free to tell my kids, stop talking, whatever, don't do that. Do this, go pick up, go throw the trash out, right? I tell them what to do. And it's not because it's my way or the highway or because I think I'm so much better than my kids. It's because I have a heart for my kids. I love my kids and I want to see them grow up to be men of God that are mature. And so I discipline them. I tell them what to do. And it doesn't feel awkward or weird for me to do that. 
I'll be honest with you. Not that you guys need all the, you guys are just unruly people in this church. You need a dad to step in and tell you. I don't mean it that way. I'm saying I've done you a disservice that I'm asking for forgiveness that I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be a good father. Some of you, maybe you don't want (laughs) snot-nosed Ryan to be your dad. I don't know what to tell you. I think at this point, you know, for nine years, God has brought some confirmation. I'm supposed to, for this season, be the father of this church. So there are some things. I I don't say this like prophetically. It needs to happen. I'm just saying I'm seeing there's going to be times where I'm going to have to stop being awkward. And I want to say, oh, no, this is what we're doing. And you might not like it. And it's going to be okay because you trust not me. You trust God. He called me to be the dad. And things are going to be more healthy as I just be a dad. Is that be a dad? (laughs) However that works. So I'm asking for forgiveness of what I haven't done, but I'm asking, oh, that good word, transformation, that I transform today and that I become more of a father, that I get the heart and the spirit of Elijah on me, that in the last days, my heart is just broken towards you. It's not just discipline that some of you guys need. Some of you need a loving father that gives you more hugs and affirmation and encouragement. Like we did two Sundays ago, I brought Bert down. He's my senior. I look up to, I've looked up to Bert all my life since I was like nine years old. Uh, Bert is someone that I, I aspire to be like. And at the same time, I can be Bert's father and love on him and encourage him. There are people in this room like Bert. I've looked up to you for a long time. I always will. But I need to be loving and kind and nurture you as a dad. And I want to do a better job of that. So I guess I'm saying, forgive me for what I have. Hold me accountable moving forward that I will be more fatherly in this church. But I love the idea is that it's not just on me today. I'm not preaching just to myself today. I'm actually preaching to my 12-year-old in the room who's not with the kids anymore. His first Sunday to be in here where he said, not with the kids. He actually can get a spirit of Elijah on him before he goes back to school. He can get it on him where he doesn't think he's better than the rest of his classmates, but he sees the spiritual authority that God has given him. And he is comfortable in his shoes to have that influence everywhere he goes. That as a dad, I don't, I'm hopefully as a dad, I have more influence over my household than my kids have influence over me. They do have influence over me. Of course they do. But whatever they come up with and whatever they want to do, it's not a democracy. It's whatever dad decides. And I'm not saying that like to be rude. It's just that's the healthy nature of how God laid things out in order. So, oh man, it seems weird for me to say this, but it's not a democracy at the church. I don't want to lead based off of what's going to make most people happy. That is not how I want to make decisions. And I've been guilty in the past of doing that. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be like a dad in my household that I listen, I hear what people want to say, and my heart is to make you enjoy family, but ultimately, I've got to make the decision. And there will be times where you're not going to like my decision. But you trust, I hopefully, you can ask my kids. There's times they don't like what I say, what I decide. But hopefully, right now, outside that specific situation of them telling you something they don't want to do, they know my heart. They tr- I see it. I, you can ask them. I, maybe I'm deceived. But I, I look at my kids. They trust that dad has the best intentions for them. I don't have a perfect family, but I am proud of my kids. I look at them. And I'm like, oh, those are good kids, man. Not perfect in any way. Trust me. I know more than anyone else in the room. Um, 
but I'm so proud of them. I want to have the same, and I do, but increasingly have the same mindset and attitude over you. That I look at you and like, oh, I'm so proud of you guys. Not perfect, but man, you guys are growing. You trust me. There's health. It's just happening. Um, so I love this idea. This is the last words of the Old Testament that God is promising is going to happen before he returns. But if you haven't noticed yet, most prophecy, Old Testament, New Testament, just biblical prophecy, it's not just foretelling, meaning it's just telling the future what this is going to happen no matter what. There is some of that. Prophecy is also foretelling. Do you know the difference between foretelling is like, this is what's going to happen. It's just predicting the future. Forthtelling is causing the future. Forthtelling is saying, telling my, I used the example. My mom used to tell me, Ryan, you're such a good reader, when I really wasn't. I was low on, the, on my, my grade, my grade classroom. I was on the lower spectrum of being able to read books. But my mom at home kept telling me she would have me read out loud. She did the diligence of having me read books. And every time I was reading a book, Ryan, you're such a good reader. She was forthtelling. She was saying, you are going, right now, you're not very good. I'm a kindergarten teacher, and I can tell you're not very good. But I'm going to foretell and say, you are a good reader. Some of this is, yes, just saying, God, you make it happen. Send the spirit of Elijah, just telling, predicting the future. And some of this, Malachi, is foretelling. I feel like this morning, God is saying, I'm telling you, you have a responsibility in the prophecy. Do you want the spirit of Elijah on you? Do you want to have this fatherly mantle, whether you're a girl or not? Do you want a fatherly mantle where you carry the influence, you carry the authority in a room? Not because you're better than, but because you're part of the kingdom of God. And we are praying for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. These last Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, we had that study on the way of life. And really quick, one of my favorite points, and if you were in the class, you know because I... I blabbed all of what was about to say in the video and I didn't even know it. I was like, oh shoot, I just said the whole video. But this idea, I'll do it in a nutshell. The idea that this word apostle that we read in the, in the Bible was actually, had existed for hundreds of years. The Greek had this word apostle, it just meant sent one, someone who was sent. And when Jesus uh, was commissioning his disciples to become apostles, he could have used more biblical terms, Hebrew words. He could have used prophets, fathers, patriarchs, you know, priests, all these different things he could have said, but he chose a secular word, apostle, which means sent one. And the idea was in the culture that time of day when Jesus picked this foreign word to now be in our Bibles, the understanding was in that day, in the Roman culture, those that were there on Wednesday and Sunday, sorry, you're getting recap. But the idea is during the Roman empire, if you remember your world history, Rome had an empire that was conquering the known world. And Rome would go and conquer this barbaric city that had horrible, had no streets, no roads, no culture, no art. It was just men beating up on weaker men and just eating meat and being nomads. And Rome was this society that was culturized and, and proper and had etiquette and had elegance and had beauty and had architecture. And so Rome would go and conquer this barbaric land and they would defeat him and then they would leave and they come back and they say, well, they're the same barbarians living the same barbaric life, but they're just now conquered by us. And they said, we've got to change this. Let's send apostles. Let's pick people from Rome that are our generals in the army 
that are our philosophers that understand the way we think, that are our artisans, that are our architectures, that know how to build roads and aqueducts. Let's take some of our best people and let's send them out of Rome, apostles, send them out of Rome and go live in this barbaric land and have them transform the culture and the way this land is living so that it becomes to look like Rome. So they have streets, they have order, they have law, they have prisons, they have soldiers, they have things that it begins to have, it looks, it's functioning much more healthy. To the point that is, the idea was you would send apostles to transform this world, this culture, so that if Caesar decided to leave Rome and go visit, he would feel like he's just like he's at home. No matter where he would go in the Roman Empire, it looked, smelled, tasted, felt like Rome. And then this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, right? Us as apostles, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here at Osborne, here at where I work, here in my own home, here at school, here wherever I go, I'm bringing, I am apostolic. I am a sent one. I know the culture of heaven and I'm bringing it with me everywhere I go. So I'm marrying these two ideas of the Elijah spirit being a father or being apostolic, that God is calling this church, he's calling us out, ecclesia, to be more apostolic, big words, right? But the idea is, hopefully I described it a little bit, that we go into the world not to be influenced by the world. We go into the world to influence the world to look more like God's kingdom. That everywhere we go, we are making it more and more like heaven. That whatever goes on in heaven, we want that to be here on earth. We want God to feel comfortable coming into my family, coming into my address at my house where I live on in Silmar. I want the presence of God to come in there. And he says, oh, I feel like I'm in heaven right now. I want God to feel that way when he comes into Osborne Road Church, that it feels and smells just like heaven in this physical room. But I want us to have this prayer that before Jesus returns, we are asking for this spirit of Elijah. Where am I? I'm connecting this not just to Malachi. Let's go back to Elijah. Let's go to, let's go to 2 Kings chapter two. Let's go there. 2 Kings chapter two. We're gonna read. So um, should I give you? We'll do it. We'll do it. I'll give you some context first. You can turn to 2 Kings chapter two. If you want, you can read the story all the way back in 1 Kings, a few chapters before. 1 Kings chapter 19, there's some things that go on. You guys, Sunday school trivia, I'll go through it really quick. You guys remember the story of Elijah on the Mount Carmel and the, the showdown between the prophets of Baal and he calls down fire, burns up the altar and the water that he poured all around it. And then he kills thousands of, of these prophets of Baal. Has this great victory, right? And then after the great victory, if you remember your Sunday school trivia, what does Elijah do? He gets a word from Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, and he gets afraid and he runs and hides and he says, I just want to die. I'm the only one that's serving God. And like just a couple days ago, you killed all the prophets of Baal. There's no prophets of Baal left. And you saw the remnant. And now you're saying you're all by yourself. He's under the influence of a lie. He's under the influence of fear. He, this is Elijah. And he goes and he hides in a cave. You guys remember this? Hides in a cave, and what happens to the cave? The Lord shows up. There's this great wind at the mouth of the cave. It's breaking. The wind is so powerful, it's breaking rocks apart. But the Lord was not in the wind. Then an earthquake comes. Everything's shaking. The Lord was not in the earthquake. A fire comes, burning, consuming everything. The Lord is not in the fire. Then what shows up next? Still small voice. Still small voice shows up, and Moses says, "Oh, the Lord is in that." 
and Moses, Elijah. See, Moses, Elijah, they're both fathers. Elijah comes out of the cave and he talks with God. This is how I'm interpreting, I could be wrong. This is how I'm interpreting the spirit of Elijah. Not the one who could call down fire from heaven, not the one who caused it not to rain and then to rain and could do all these great signs and wonders. I think that's part of it. But to me, this is more the crux of it. Elijah had lost hope. He was living in a nation that was not following or honoring God. King Ahab was the worst, the pinnacle, King Ahab and Jezebel, the worst leaders in the history of Israel. And Elijah's alive during this time. And he's frustrated, disheartened with the political scene, with the religious scene. He's like, there's no hope for Israel. There's no hope for God's people. I'm the only one left. He's in this cave and God finally speaks to him. And he says, all right, Elijah, it's timed that you get my spirit. You get a father spirit on you. You stop looking at the world as, as if you can make no difference. You start looking at the world as if you are the one that's gonna influence the world. And what, get, what does God tell him? He tells him to do three things. He tells him, go anoint this foreigner and he's gonna become the king of Syria, not even God's people. Go find this foreigner, anoint him, and you are gonna shape the way the rest of the world looks like. Go find this next king of Israel. I'm gonna replace Ahab. He's the wicked, all right? We're gonna replace him. Go anoint this guy as the next king of Israel. And go find, third thing, go find Elisha. He's gonna be your successor. He's gonna be someone who actually goes further than you ever went. This, to me, this is the, the transition where Elijah transitions from, oh, I can't do anything. I tried, I gave my best and I failed. I can't do it to having this father mentality. Okay, I can't do it. But what I can do is I can invest in some children and they can change the world. I don't think it was a coincidence that it was not pre-thought. It was not something I planned to do when Jen was pregnant with our first child. But it just happened. That when Benjamin was born as an infant, as a toddler, as all my kids were infants, it just, it came out of me. Like I said, it wasn't cognitive. It just came out of me. I prayed over my kids every single night that they would outdo me in every way in the kingdom of God. God, if, if somehow you use my voice and a thousand people are brought into your kingdom, then God, would my kids, each one of them, bring 2,000 into your kingdom? God, if, if I'm able to do this in your kingdom, I want my kids to outdo me in every way. I can tell you it wasn't born of my flesh because as you know, I'm just a little bit competitive, just a little bit competitive. And I like being the best. That's just in my head. I like to win. I like to be on top. That's just in my DNA. I like it. But there's something that I think God, when I became a father, a biological father, he was starting this heart in me that my heart is towards my children. I want them to outdo me. And how can I participate in that? What can I do as a father to part, partake, invest, give over, and celebrate them outdoing me in every way? I knew that it wasn't just from my biological children. Um, I'll say one of the things that, where I recognized it was actually really quick. Um, Pastor Jake, I remember small, probably doesn't matter to anyone else in this room, but I recognize it. When Jake became a deacon, he dethroned my Osborne history of being the youngest in Osborne history, the youngest deacon to ever serve here. Stupid things. Who cares about those stupid things, right? But this competitive spirit, I was the youngest deacon ever in the history of Osborne to be a deacon. And then Jake became the, took my title. He became the, and, and my competitive spirit, actually, it didn't bother me. I loved it. It's like, oh, Jake, 
You're not the youngest guy to ever become. And now I get to see him step into being a pastor, being a youth pastor. He's doing things I never did as a youth pastor. And I'm excited about it. It's not competitive. It's like, ah, I love it. Because there is something healthy where even though Jake isn't years and years younger than me, there's something about I see him as a spiritual son. And it brings me joy to see him outdo me in every way. And I want that to transfer, not just to my biological children, not just to Jake. I want that to be on every single person that calls Osborne their home. That anytime you outdo me, it's like, oh, praise God, you're outdoing me in every way because that's my prayer. As a father, it's not just for these four biological children, it's for you. I want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I don't want any glory and honor. I would be so much more thrilled when I get to heaven that I heard that you guys did way more than I ever did. And that somehow I played a part in giving you some tools, giving you some resources that helped you do what you did. What a joy for me. What a joy. So I told you to read 2 Kings. Let's do it really quick. Um, all right, let's just start at verse 1. We'll go th- 1 through 15. Ready? Ready to do some Bible reading. Here we go. Verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were, with, who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you, over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Shh, keep silent. Then Elijah said to, said to him, Elisha, stay here in Bethel, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, the father said to the son, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have asked a very hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared and horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Last verse. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So much in there that I've been chewing on, I can't unpack it all. But I'll stop at the very end. 
There were people that saw Elisha and recognized, oh, the spirit of Elijah is on him. I am believing that it's going to happen, that people are going to recognize that the spirit of Elijah is on you. That in these last days, it's going to be obvious that you have a heart for people. You have a father's heart. Again, I don't care what gender you are. I don't care what age you are. You have the spirit of Elijah on you. Elisha was given this opportunity. What do you want? Ask of me. And Elisha said, I don't want your power to send fire from heaven. I don't want your power to shut up the heavens and make it not rain. I don't want to be able to raise the dead back to life. He didn't want all these things. He said, I want a double portion of what? Your spirit. Your spirit. Elisha had no personal relationship with Elijah until after Elijah became a father. In fact, I don't have time to unpack it all, but you saw multiple times in that story, there were sons of the prophets. I don't have time to undo all this. The only time you ever saw, the very first time you ever see sons of the prophets is Samuel. Back in Samuel, there were sons of the prophets. If you remember, King Saul actually went and prophesied with the sons of the prophets. So that's the first time you see it. Samuel created something where there was this school or there was people that he was a father over and he invested and poured into. You don't hear about it again until after Elijah goes to the cave and after he's with Elisha, you see it show up again. Did they still exist? Maybe, probably. But there was something about Elijah when he got this spirit. It was this father spirit that I need to raise up sons that know how to prophesy, that know how to do what I do. Whatever I have, I want to give away. I don't want it to die with me. And Elisha said, I want that. I want that burden, this heart where you know how to transfer the wisdom and the revelation of God onto another generation. I want how you influence Elijah everywhere you go. It's not that you do miracles. It's you're bringing the presence of God, the wisdom of God. People want to know what to do. They come to Elijah and they get the word of the Lord. I want that spirit on me. Elijah's saying, I want that mantle. Parting the, the water, great. I could care less. But you see, he even said that. When Elisha picked up the mantle, he said, I don't know, did I get it or not? I got to see Elijah go up. So Elijah said, I get it, let's test it out. Where is the, where is the God of Elijah? And he hits the water and it parts. And Elisha knows from that point, I've got it. I've got the spirit of Elisha on me. God is on me. I want it to be obvious to you that the spirit of Elisha is on you. I want to be more comfortable with the spirit of Elisha on me. Oh man, I gotta wrap this up. There's so much more good stuff in there. But I wanna do, before we leave, there's kids over there that are launching into a new school year. I said we're gonna pray over them. I'm gonna pray over us really quick before I invite them to come over because I would love for there to be a spirit of Elijah that increases on us that we have a heart for children, whether they're our biological children or not. We just have a heart that we want to not be like the old Elijah that was afraid in a cave, hiding, having no hope, having no future, but that we get on us, that we have hope, that we have this ability to prophesy or foretell. And we're gonna use our voice to tell people, this is who you are. 
you're going to become mighty in God's kingdom. And I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to be an Elijah to speak it into existence. God, use me, whether I'm 12 years old to speak it over an eight-year-old. I don't care. I want it on me. I want a spirit of Elijah on me. So if that's you, if you want the spirit of Elijah, would you stand and just put your hands in a posture to receive? Hmm. God, I thank you that in your word, everything you give is never earned. Salvation is not a reward of my good works, or I can boast about it. Every gift of God is truly just a gift. It's your grace. So God, I, I can't earn my way into a status of receiving the spirit of Elijah, but God, you put it in your very written word that in the last days, you will pour out your spirit on all flesh. And I don't want to just dream and prophesy for myself. God, I want a spirit of Elijah where I'm impacting those around me, where I have a mind and a heart, God, to bless others, that I'm not just seeking for my own gain. I'm not the old Elijah in a cave just thinking, poor me. But God, I have a shift in my mentality. And I begin to see there is hope as long as I'm alive, as long as there's breath in these lungs, I can prophesy over someone else. And they can bring change. God, we can change the political atmosphere. We can anoint things. God, we can change the world. We can change our very family. I can change the school I attend. I can change my boss, those that I work with, my coworkers. God, I can change things because a spirit of Elijah is on me. So I ask for that right now. Holy Spirit, would you be gracious and kind? And would you be a giver right now in this moment? Fall afresh on me. I want a spirit of Elijah, God. I want to know that it's not only possible, that it's going to happen. I have a conviction that as I speak the word of God, God, it's passionate burning inside of me that it's going to change things. Every room I walk into, I have the opportunity to change it, to change the atmosphere, to change the culture, to change the spiritual climate of things. Where the enemy is ruling and reigning, no, when I walk in, God, you rule and reign. On Sunday mornings, just this very morning, as we laid prostrate, as we knelt, as we worshiped you as the king, we too are men and women under authority. Just as we submit to your authority, we can become prophets like Elijah who tell kings what to do. You may not do that any further. Elijah had boldness. God, may a spirit of boldness come on us, just like we see on the day of Pentecost that Peter and John went on the Temple Mount and with boldness, they preached the gospel where it wasn't allowed, where there were priests who said, shut your mouth. And they said, we will only submit to God. We will not listen to you. There was boldness to say, no, we're shifting atmospheres. And when they came back, they prayed for more boldness. God, may that be what our church services look like. That all week long, we're changing the world and we come back and ask for more boldness. More of that spirit of Elijah to get on us. So God, I pray what we are receiving right now in this very moment. God, I pray as these kids come in the room and if someone could go get the kids, maybe text Jenny or go get them. As those kids come in the room, that somehow we would be an Elijah that can impart to Elisha's. 
that these very kids, as they start this school year, this would be a different school year than any other school year they've ever had in their life. That we would prophesy and speak and incur, put courage inside of these kids. We would encourage them, God, putting courage inside of these young kids to be bold, to say what we just said in this service. I love Jesus. Jesus is my king. If that seems weird to say in a church setting, God, how much harder is that going to be in a school setting? But God, may you rise up Elisha's in our church that get a double portion, that wherever we have boldness, they get a double portion of boldness. God, as I look at this world that my kids are living in, it's twice as evil as the one I grew up in. There's twice as many temptations. So my kids, they need a double portion. If they have just what I had to go through the world they're living in now, it's not enough. So God, may we invest all that we have into these kids. God, I pray that everyone in this room would never be offended that I repeat what I said the first day I became the pastor of this church. We are investing from the nursery to the college age. It doesn't mean people my age and older don't matter. No, it matters that we become Elijah's. I want to see older generations come alive, get out of their caves and start anointing and start prophesying and start living life to the fullest. That our latter days will be greater than any of our former days. That Elijah's last days were way better than any previous days. So God, may this church rise up to be Elijah's and have a heart for the children. Hmm. I don't know how to do this. Maybe, Nick, I don't know if you're coming up for a song. We played just some soaking music in the background. But before the kids even come in here, can you just, as we just prayed, can you just wait on the Lord? Maybe you're supposed to get a prophetic word. Maybe a scripture is going to come to mind. But we're going to have all the kids come all the way up front just so you kind of understand. We're going to have all the kids come up front. And in fact, I'm going to ask for all the parents to come up with those kids. If you have kids here, come all up front. And we're going to fill this front up here with the kids. And the rest of us are going to pray blessings over and prophesy over. Not just the little kids, the youth, college age, from nursery to college age. In fact, I don't know if I told Jenny that. Bring the nursery in. Bring those little kids in.